Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday. We are going to be talking about a lot of things in agriculture today on the program. In segment two today, we're going to speak with Bob Antishak. He's a cotton industry expert. He's a consultant, and he's a senior advisor to Vidalia Mills. We're going to talk about the cotton market and just how it's progressing here through COVID. And in segment three, Don Close, senior animal protein economist with Robo Bank, will be joining us. We're heading into summer typically a time we like to get excited about the cattle market or Don's going to see if 2022 is a year where that trend is going to continue. And at the end of the show, we're going to check in with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Truckers in Argentina are on strike and that's impeding the flow of grains to the ports. Michael, give us an update on, well, just what's expected to happen with that strike. Before we jump into all of that, however, this has been a very big week in terms of announcements from Uncle Sam. We had the core consumer price index released earlier in the week, then the producer price index was released, then retail sales numbers were released this morning. All of this economic data coming to us today, and our friend Jason Miller, assistant professor at the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University is joining us today to break it down. And Jason, before we start, talking all the details break down for us what's the difference between cpi and ppi yeah thanks so much for having me on so the consumer price index is measuring what are the prices that our consumers are paying at retail locations the producer price indices measure what are the prices that manufacturers um, mining companies uh, and farmers are actually receiving for their products so it's the prices further upstream in the supply chain so as we look at these two reports that were released today cpi up 8.4 percent ppi up 11.2 percent jason what does this tell you about the state of the economy well, so right now we certainly have inflation, you know, running very strong. Now, we all knew that the March CPI report was going to be very, very, very rough because of the immense increases we saw in energy prices. I mean, gasoline going up the way it did. In terms of the PPIs, it's sort of a mixed bag in that we certainly have some series uh, going up substantially. Um, so, for example, phosphatic fertilizer went up 8% um, in just a month, whereas we are seeing some positives in that steel prices, for example, actually are finally coming down um, from, from an absolute record run-up. So, eventually, that will be good news for, you know, all the manufacturers that consume a lot of steel. Jason, you post a lot on LinkedIn, great breakdowns of what's happening both in the supply chains and in the broader economy. And you'd noted that the sensation of this inflationary burst feels a lot more severe because we actually had a period of deflationary uh, time prior in the decade. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So I'm convinced that how the American people feel inflation is almost the opposite of how economists look at it, because economists will talk about this core consumer price index that removes food and energy. Yet my experience is people feel inflation when they go to the grocery store. And so if you focus really on the items you buy on a grocery store trip, so gasoline and then food at home, and then you know your household supplies, if you really look from about 2015 through 2020, we actually did not have prices change at all, whereas people's wages went up on average 16%. So folks were essentially able to use a smaller share of their wallet to still buy the same quality and quantity of food and gas. Well, what we've seen over the last year has just been a tremendous increase, though, in food at home and gas prices. So March especially stands out. Um, there was a essentially one index I produced. There was a 7.6% jump alone in March, um, primarily due to gas prices. But food itself went up 1.5%. And so really, when you look at the grocery store trip, 
people have seen a 22.5% year-over-year increase in prices. And so I really think when we talk about the psychology of inflation, people aren't seeing the headline CPI at 8.4%. I think they're seeing about 20%. And that's why there's so much anger and frustration in the country at the moment. I think that makes a lot of sense, Jason. And are we to a point where we're starting to see the U.S. consumer not just noticing these prices, but actually feeling it? Are we starting to draw down their their capacity to pay for things at these price levels? It seems that that is the case. I haven't fully processed the data yet, but the one thing I saw with the retail sales data for March that came out today was on a seasonally adjusted basis, there was a sharp drawdown in non-store retail sales. That sector is including almost all e-commerce activity. And so the fact I'm not seeing that series go up, and actually, if anything, it's starting to go down on a seasonally adjusted basis, to me would start to be sort of the you know canary in the coal mine that consumer behavior is starting to change. Jason, I'm also hearing reports of spot prices for vans, truck vans, starting to really come down. Is that something you're hearing as well? Well, not only hearing, but yeah, we're, we're seeing that uh, DAT Freight and Analytics data, which can be accessed for everybody through the Bureau of Transportation Statistics through their Freight Indicators website for free if you have an interest in that. Um, the BTS, their publishing of that data shows a very sharp drawdown over the past couple weeks. Um, and we're really not completely sure exactly why this is going on that quickly. I think a combination of demand falling a little bit, supply continues to come back on based on the employment data for trucking. And then there is some speculation of shippers changing their behavior away from sending, let's say, 22,000-pound truckload shipments to making sure it's consolidated to that 40,000-pound weight limit. And all of a sudden, if that's the case, you start taking another couple percentage points of shipments off the road. Interesting. And with those costs coming down, Jason, are we seeing this reverberate through the rest of the supply chain? Um, unfortunately, not yet, because transportation and trucking is still a very small percentage of overall cost. The ballpark I always use is for a food manufacturer. Typically, trucking represents 3 to 6% of your total revenue. So really right now, it's a commodity inflation story. And when you look, for example, at the March PPI data measuring what farmers are receiving, the price for wheat is up 24% month over month, and the price of grains in general is up 16%. And so when I think about inflation, while trucking prices perhaps coming down will help, um, it's going to be very minuscule, and it's really much more pegged, let's say, in the food market to what is going on in the commodities. Well, this inflation story is going to be with us for some time. It sounds like always appreciate your insight, folks. We've been talking to Jason Miller, assistant professor at the Michigan State University, Eli College of Eli Broad College of Business. Dr. Miller, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. And folks, stay with us. We're going to talk with Bob Antishak about the cotton market when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. University trials and grower use proves that adding Tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, and Kochia. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. 
Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it slippy, coffee, check. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, here on AOA. You know, we just talked with Jason Miller there in segment one about the pressures of inflation and how that's percolating through the broader economy. And Jason mentioned the real driver of prices through the economy have been this broad-based commodity price hike that we have seen, both COVID-related, of course, intensified by the war. And we've talked about a lot of those crops here on AOA. Of course, a lot of our listeners are growing those pulses and lentils and corn and soybeans and everything else that's been volatile here over the past year and a half well two years now that we're into april one market we haven't spent a lot of time talking about but it has certainly seen its share of volatility is the cotton market and i figured it was time to fix that so today we are talking with a highly accomplished and celebrated cotton market consultant his name is bob antishak he's a senior advisor at fidelia mills he's an author and speaker bob thank you so much for taking the time to join us today Thank you, Mike. Let's talk about the rally that cotton has seen. Bob, here over COVID, cotton has performed very, very well. Prices have been above average for almost two years, haven't they? They have. It's interesting. It actually went backwards for a period of time, uh, which really kind of was uh, befuddling to to folks. But now they're back up and they're really roaring ahead right now and and causing a lot of trouble in the... uh, textile supply chain as a result. And that's where I wanted to pick your brain. We don't have a lot of folks tuning into the the show here who are cotton growers, but every single one of us, I imagine, is a cotton buyer. Bob, let's talk about that cotton supply chain. I assume Asia has been a huge area of disruption throughout COVID. Is that still continuing? Yes, very much so. And with all the lockdowns and everything that are occurring in China in particular, it's really complicated, the uh, supply chain delivery. So as a result, you have that added cost that are there that, that that's piling into the cotton cost. Same time, you also have the Xinjiang cotton issue restrictions that are in place. So in effect, a good portion of the global cotton market is actually kind of excluded from the equation. So when you put all that together, you end up with a higher price scenario for textile mills in particular. 
Bob, I'm going to ask you to take a step back. The cotton supply chain as a whole, and let's talk about it for American-produced cotton. The farmers are growing that throughout the country here in the U.S. And then what happens typically to cotton produced in this country? Is it boarded up on ships and sent over to Asia? Does it move globally? Yes, about 80% of what's grown here in the U.S. ends up offshore. And about 20% stays in the U.S. And typically the buyers of this will be spinners, basically yarn spinners who are purchasing, or textile mills who are vertical, meaning they weave and knit, and then they also spin yarn. And if at that yarn level, we really see the real crunch occurring because it's uh, the raw material, the raw cost of cotton really impacts the price of yarn, which in turn trickles downstream into the uh, textile supply chain. So broadly, Bob, as you think about the textile supply chain, as we're heading into summer 2022, is there a portion of it that's offline due to COVID? Is there a portion of it that's shut down due to high costs? Or is everybody running hard because consumers are still spending a lot on clothing? I think the latest numbers, and we saw this morning, the retail sales numbers in the U.S. are still up for apparel. So again, um, eventually the inflation will put a damper on demand for sure. But for now, demand is running high, and that's even with higher prices at retail. Also for imported finished apparel products, finished textiles, those prices are higher as well right now. So again, and that's a, that, that has a lot to do with the price of cotton, but that also has to do with higher prices for synthetic fibers as well. So um, these mills are typically blending uh, the various fibers, but all fibers are going up. Synthetics are going up because of the petrochemical and all costs are going up at the same time. So until the consumer starts to slow down when prices hit a certain threshold, we haven't seen it yet, but we may be soon. That will slow demand down. Bob, looking at production, right, the other side of the equation here from demand, these prices are are close to record. I know we're certainly at contract highs, at least in the summer months for cotton. Are, are we going to see more acres than the USDA had anticipated on their prospective plantings report in cotton, do you think? Um, you know, again, I, I think a lot of this, one of the things I'm looking at very closely is the drought in Texas. And if that stays intense, uh, like it is right now, then, you know, we may be looking at a really, really uh, a much lower crop, actually, just because of the practicalities of, uh, of dealing with the drought. If that happens, prices are going to continue to uh, spiral. Um, if they get some rain and they're able to get some uh, seed in the ground, then may maybe that'll ease uh, the price situation for the um, consumers of uh, cotton. On the other hand, um, it's great to see the farmers have a chance to actually make a little extra money for a change. And um, so from that standpoint, I'm, I'm very happy for them. So um, hopefully hopefully uh, there'll be some, some middle ground that will develop where there's a balance downstream as well as benefit for the farmers. As you think about the acreage this year, and of course that, that drought over the entire Southwest of the United States is an ongoing concern for a lot of crops, Bob, but if it were to end, if the rains were to come and the acres that farmers are intending to plant got planted, would we reverse this situation? Could we be in a glut situation here domestically for cotton supplies? I wouldn't say necessarily this season, but season that, you know, moving down the following season, but I want to say um, a lot has to do with downstream demand for finished products. If downstream demand for finished products um, really suddenly falls off a cliff, that'll probably have more impact than anything on the short run uh, for uh, fiber demand and for fiber prices. And because it'll, it'll ripple pretty, pretty fast through the uh, supply chain and orders will stop. And, and again, we saw that with the pandemic, how fast that can unwind. So if, if, if retail purchasing slows down um, by consumers for finished apparel, you, you'll see a ripple effect that will, be effect, that will affect the um, ability to sell cotton, certainly at the current price point that we're looking at. So we could find ourselves in a glut situation. 
Okay, yeah, there's so many concerns developing for that 23 crop season. Bob, I wanted to ask you, you recently, uh, it's been about a month ago, wrote an article in Sourcing Journal. You were discussing the impact of the war in Ukraine on cotton prices. Of course, we've seen almost all commodities impacted by the, uh, the, the start of the first real land war in Europe since World War II. How has it impacted cotton? Has there been much of an impact on pricing directly from the war? Definitely psychologically, it has. It's kind of a, a, an add-on knock-on effect on top of the pandemic economy we had, which, it, which had also inflated prices. Supply chains have been kind of um, certain parts of the, the, like in the Black Sea and whatnot, certain, certain um, shipping lines have been affected by the war directly. The Ukraine and, and um, Russia by themselves are not huge producers or consumers of apparel per se, but the psychology of um, food shortages has really, uh, I think, helped to elevate prices and add to inflation globally across the board for all, all sorts of uh, commodities. Again, beginning with food, now, now we're seeing, of course, we're seeing big time with fuel, and that has a real effect on the, um, on the textile business in the sense of raw material costs that have been brought up as a result of that. That makes sense. Bob, I did see an announcement, I think it was yesterday or the day before, India has announced they are going to allow duty-free imports of cotton. Their prices apparently have been skyrocketing globally. Is the cotton supply situation uh, noticeably tight? It is tight because, again, the demand, what happened was coming out of the pandemic. It basically, during the pandemic, of course, demand collapsed. Then it soared back up very fast because consumers had pent up demand. So that rebound ended up creating shortages on the market. Hence, here we are with dollar forty-five cotton or whatever it is right now, and and that has the potential to continue to uh, grow. A lot of the a lot of the Indian cotton ends up actually being exported to China in the form of yarn. Okay, so as a result, India needs to find ways of importing more more cotton. That is a growing or has been, had been a, a large, significant growing market for U.S. cotton, um, for example. So, in a way, I'm not surprised to see that the Indian government made that announcement. Lots of things changing in all industries. Cotton is no exception. We've been talking to Bob Antishak, cotton market consultant and senior advisor to Vidalia Mills. Bob, if we've got listeners who want to keep up to date with your thoughts, where can they find you on social media? Uh, on social media, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me on uh, my blog, fieldofchef.com. Check that out, folks, if you want to stay up to date on the cotton market and stay here. If you want to have more AOA, we're going to be talking with Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst from Rabobank, when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here so far on this Thursday morning, final trading day of the week as we head into the three-day holiday weekend. A little back and forth action in the grain trade. We started a bit higher in corn, beans, and wheat. We've backed off. Now we're starting to come back again. So a little bit of position squaring, it appears, is the uh, story here on this Thursday. We'll continue to watch that trade closely as we work through the day. 
Now watching the weather as well in the Climate Prediction Center gives 59% odds of La Nina lingering through the Northern Hemisphere summer, which increases weather risk for U.S. 2022 production. First, it increases the risk for dryness in the Plains, hard red winter wheat belt, where crop ratings are already among the lowest on record. And secondly, it increases risks that the drought in the Plains will spread into the Midwest as we go through the summer. Does it mean that'll happen? Not at all. But uh, many forecasters are expecting a cool, dry summer for the Midwest that could still boast good yields, but it does increase the risks in a year when global supplies are tight with little to no margin for error. On the stock market side, inflation's been the big talk here this week, and we see stock futures trading both sides of unchanged overnight as traders position for this uh, morning's retail sales and jobs data and looking ahead to the three-day holiday weekend. Crude oil prices down roughly 1% heading into the holiday weekend. Right now, May corn up two and a quarter, 785 at three quarters. May soybeans up three quarters, 1676 at three quarters. May bean meal up 450 a ton, 46270. May bean oil down 38 points, 7773. May Chicago wheat down seven, 1106 and a half. May Kansas City wheat down six and three quarters, 1167 at a quarter. May spring wheat up three quarters, 1159 at three quarters. April live cattle down 21.40.42. April hogs up to 99.92. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thank you, folks, for tuning in to AOA today on this Thursday. My social media has been flooded over the past 24 hours with photographs from ranchers up in North Dakota digging baby calves out of snow, working to get mama cows back to the barn. They're dealing with 16 to 30 inches of snow across central and western North Dakota. Boy, a lot of those ranchers would love to have some good news here as we look ahead to summer, typically the phenomenal time of demand for U.S. beef. Well, we're going to find out if they're going to get some good news. Joining me in this segment to talk about the cattle market, well, and the hog market, animal protein most broadly, is Don Close. He's the Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Bank. And Don, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm not too bad. I tell you what, Don, I'm out here. I'm watching this cattle market. And as you look ahead to the summer, big picture, are we going to see strength in cattle carry forward through summer? I it. It's one of those occurrences where I'm going to give you a classic economist answer. It's, it's both sides. Uh, short term, I'm just uncomfortable with the market, uh, the weather issues, the feed cost, uh, certainly at the, the rate of cow liquidation we continue to see. But because of those very same things, and, the, and at the rate we're contracting our supply, I think the long-term view of the market is, is incredible. Don, let's talk about that liquidation. What have you heard? How many mama cows have we moved off the farm? What's going on? So year to date, beef cow slaughter is running uh, up about 16% over a year ago. And and that, if we look at it in a different context, cow slaughter has, for the year to date, has represented 22% of weekly FI slaughter. And to put that in, in context, on an annualized basis, that period from 2010 to 2013, 
cows as a percent of FI slaughter never exceeded 20%. So we're liquidating cows at an excessively aggressive pace, and, and that's going to be showing up down the road. And that's a great point. And for listeners who, who are maybe new to the industry, that 2010 through 2013 period, that coincided with the massive drought across the Southern Plains that then in 2012 worked its way north into the Corn Belt. Don, that was kind of the, the, the limit for how much we could shrink this cow herd down to see it moving beyond that, given the challenges where the industry's facing today. When do you see this percolating through to price levels? I'm guessing it won't be until end of 22, early 23. Into 23 uh, and even even 24, I think we will be looking at phenomenal prices. Um, the the way it, when we reached our low ebb of, of beef cows in the January 2014 cattle inventory, beef cow number was at like 28.9 million beef cows, and and our opinion throughout the expansionary phase and even into this con- contraction. We did not think we would take that number out, and and we thought we would have a larger base of cows when the cycle bottomed and and give us a platform to build on. But very much like the the 2011-2012 market, we had had been liquidating cows then as we've been liquidating cows now, and we had actually reached a, a point of equilibrium, and then the drought kicked in and forced us to liquidate more cows than what was needed and and we're doing exactly the same thing again only this time we're doing it on steroids okay oh boy that could be some some big ripples coming in the market then don thinking about how producers if we're if we got to wait till 2023 or 2024 for phenomenal prices, how do we manage that higher feed cost component of risk that exists here in 2022 to survive to those higher prices, Don? I think that's, that's really, you know, cost to gain, uh, not only for the inventory of cattle on feed today, but for the purchases of cattle today and, and through the summer. Uh, I think I think the cattle feeder really needs to pay close attention. I think there's been a lot of cattle purchased to go on feed with the assessment that, hey, this, this kind of rally in the grain market, it's overdone, it's vulnerable. If we see any kind of stabilization uh, in, in Ukraine or, or we get stability in the weather here, corn prices will set back. I think that's a big gamble to take right now. Um, you know, just I heard you talking in the segment before about just how how the weather has to be near perfect this year to have that comfortable stocks. Um, so I think I think we're going to be stuck with with high feed prices certainly for a year and and maybe two years. All right, more struggles ahead, Don. Let's look over to the other side of the equation, the demand side. We're seeing the consumer, we talked about in the first segment of the show, starting to feel the crunch here with these higher prices on everything around across the board. What does that do for beef demand as we head into the summer grilling season? That that's an interesting one. I would I would categorize beef demand as still quite good. Now, I'm saying quite good on the heels of what was nothing short of exceptional demand in 2021. But as we look at the prices of the individual wholesale primals on a week-by-week basis, the, the middle meats that were leading the rally a year ago are just holding those prices. They're not lower, but they're not gaining anything. But where we are seeing the big strength is on, on the chucks. Brisket prices are through the roof. Uh, blank stakes are higher. So what we're seeing is consumers' appetite for beef is still quite good, but we're seeing evidence of them willing to trade down uh, on the cut spectrum to lower-priced items to get their beef fixed or beef fixed. Is, is that causing some weakness overall in the value of boxes? Um, I... Before I say it's providing weakness, I'm going to say it's just not giving us the level of support we would normally anticipate as, we ju- as we're opening the spring grilling season. 
Okay. All right. That's a, that's a fair delineation, Don. I want to focus just briefly a little bit here on the hog market because that has been an absolute roller coaster over the past six months. <laughs> we've seen prices moving up almost to their PEDV highs. Don, where do you see hogs headed here through the summer? Higher. <laughs> that's it. Higher. Um, All right. How much the, higher, the, Don? The same, What's the moon the, in the hog market here? Well, and and I I don't I honestly don't know how to answer that question, but I do think I think to give some explanation of that price outlook is if you take the disease complications that we have had in the market, if you take the the cost of construction for for new hog housing, uh, either sows or finishing pigs, certainly if you take the cost of construction to build any more. Uh, processing facilities, it's just really putting a cap on that market, uh, putting a cap on any growth right now. So to see the inventory of hogs ramp up in response to these kind of prices, at this juncture, we're simply not seeing it. So, I, you know, just pure economics, I believe it will happen. But, but this is one occurrence. I don't think that additional growth in the industry is going to occur at, at an expected rate. And Don, if, as you think about where the hog industry globally is capable of expanding, is it really the United States or is Europe going to expand as well? And are you still watching China for expansion? Uh, I, I would not really expect to see a lot of expansion in China. Um, I think they'll continue to be uh, an on, on and off importer of pork. Uh, they, they just don't have the, res the, the resources and the feed supply. Um, Europe, I would have to think that we could see some, some recovery, but Europe's been interesting not only with the ASF issues in Germany and the problems that has caused with, with pork prices within Europe, but the, the share of labor in the European uh, not only beef, but but in animal protein plant and, and processing plants that were Ukraine. So when the war broke out, those guys all took off to go home to fight. So uh, Europe's Europe seeing the same kind of struggles we've been seeing here in the states at, at getting labor supplies inside the plant. I think that will be a limiting factor there. So. U.S. were it. I mean, we'll probably see have the ability to see some additional growth in Brazil over time, uh, but the U.S. is going to be the focal point. Don, retail price levels of pork climbing right along with the uh, the lean hog index. Yes, yes, they are. Um, I I really need to to spend some more time with them. But the ones that when we were talking about uh, retail, wholesale and retail beef prices a little a minute ago. Uh, when you looked at, at those March retail prices, one thing that's helped supporting all three species is the prices of all of them are high. So to be in a classic case where if one or two of the species prices are strong and, and one's weak encourages consumers to, to change species, this time they're all three high at the same time. So the, the relationship uh, a volume between broilers, pork, and beef, probably going to stay more stable this time. All right, that's the outlook there. We've been talking to Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Rabobank. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. You're more than welcome. Thank you. And folks, stick with us here on AOA. When we return, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, will give us an update on what to expect with that trucker strike in Argentina. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, 
and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Talking to Dennis Long. He is the Technical Service and Development Manager at Bellship. Can you tell us a little bit about Tough 5 ec Tough 5 ec is a great uh, component to add to the tank mix. It's an alternative mode of action, and university data and, and commercial experience this year proves it can help overcome HPPD resistance through the synergy that it brings to the table to get you back to that 95 to 100% control that we're going to need. Dennis, when we're thinking about tackling these resistant weeds, they're, they're in every field. They're everywhere. What kind of crops or what crops specifically do you anticipate Tough 5 ec working on here in 2022? We're registered on corn, mint, and chickpeas. How does Tough 5 ec work in the, in the mint space? Mint is a valuable tool. For many years, we've had Section 18s for mint growers. They need it so badly because there's not enough post broadleaf control options. So that was one of the, another one of the reasons we came in to, to invest millions to re-register this active ingredient. So we, we got approval and uh, the mint growers love it. They, they use it extensively. It's, it's providing a solution to a grower. That's our value, core value. Absolutely. Now, when would you be applying to 5EC? But it, it's going to be a, only a post-emergent product. So, you know, it depends upon which crop you're in, but um, it does not have any soil residual activity, which, you know, you could look at that as a negative, but it's also a positive because you do not have to worry about any follow uh, concerns. There's no, 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 no injury from follow crop. That's incredible. If folks are interested, they're curious, they want to get some more information. Dennis, where can they go to do that? You could go to our website at belsham.com. Reach out to your local retailer or your national distributor. We have plenty of supply. Just reach out to us on our website. Dennis Long, he is the Technical Service and Development Manager at Belsham. Thank you, Dennis, for talking to me today. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past year, one of the major macro trends we have seen develop in not just the U.S. economy, but truly the global economy, is the shifting of power from employers to employees. And we've seen that with regard to wages going up. We've seen the number of hirings increase. And what that tells us is that as we look specifically at the supply chain, labor's importance is growing and labor issues could have impacts that percolate down the rest of the chain. And we're seeing that develop right now in Argentina. Since Monday, truckers in that country have been on a strike. Of course, harvest has just ended. To give us an update on what is happening down there south of the equator, Mike Steen Hook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, is joining me now. Mike, thanks for talking to us today. Hey, it's always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Give us the download on this Argentina's trucker strike. Started on Monday. Any sign of closure coming soon? Well, they had negotiations yesterday, and they and that and the negotiations failed to arrive at a breakthrough. So the the strike is persisting. And, you know, it's obviously of consequence to the global soybean industry because, you know, after Brazil and then the United States, Argentina is the number three soybean producing country in the world and the number one uh, soybean product uh, exporter with meal and oil. They have a lot of processing down there. So it, it obviously is a, a significant you know, consequence to this industry, they, they still are, exports are still occurring, but that's, that's because they, they've had a lot, they've had some storage at those export terminals. But what's happening now is trucking isn't feeding into and replenishing those export facilities. And there's a real concern down in Argentina that if that, if this strike doesn't get lifted anytime soon, all of a sudden they'll run out of their storage facilities and then it will significantly curtail their ability to export. Mike, what are the truckers down there looking for? Well, you know, with like, you know, any anyone driving, you know, on planet Earth right now, there's a real concern about higher fuel costs. And, you know, obviously if your business is uh, moving product via a truck, uh, higher diesel prices is really going to have an impact on your profitability. And so there's a, that really has been the, the main trigger for a demand for higher wages uh, to compensate for that increased fuel cost. You know, obviously that's, that's certainly a reasonable uh, point of discussion to, to have. You know, obviously the folks down in Argentina hope that it can get resolved in the very near future. Uh, there's, there's a very strong demand for uh, agricultural products, the war in Ukraine is only exacerbating uh, this. So, you know, obviously, you know, it's in it's in everyone's best interest to see this get resolved in the near future. Absolutely. Even though Argentina suffered from a drought, Mike, they certainly want to get those beans and bean products exported. Have we heard much? The Parana River down there has been very, very low due to that drought. Is it starting to refill? Yeah, yeah, we're we're seeing some evidence of that, but the, that it's still very very uh, low, and that's obviously impeding their ability to export as they normally do. Um, you know, obviously back to the the trucking issue. In contrast to the United States, where you have so much production in the interior part of the country, and then you rely on long haul barge movements or long haul rail movements to the ports. A lot of the production in Argentina occurs relatively close to the port region, so a high percentage, 85% of the deliveries to a an export terminal in Argentina occur via truck, so trucking is obviously critical to their success. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it is. Mike, as you mentioned, ports there. Last time we talked here on AOA, you'd mentioned that this summer we might have some port concerns developing on our West Coast as those dock workers have the chance to renegotiate their labor contract. Have you heard any more about those West Coast longshoremen? Uh, the plan is to start negotiating in earnest starting in May. Uh, the contract expires on July 1st. Um, uh, but we, we are already seeing a shift in traffic to the east coast of the United States because you know one thing that we've observed, every time a, a contract is up for renegotiation on the west coast, there is always some degree of slowdown. It could be a very pronounced one or it could be a more modest one, but there always is a, is a slowdown uh, to really help uh, the, the labor union try to enhance their their standing and their negotiating position in those in those negotiations, those contract negotiations. So uh, you're seeing the East Coast ports becoming more congested, and and 
because there's this concern about what's going to happen on the West Coast. Uh, obviously, we're hopeful that nothing, nothing prolonged occurs, even nothing momentarily uh, a slowdown occurs. So this is n definitely not the time you know, when we have a very overly subscribed congested supply chain to, to really add insult to injury by having a slowdown um, on, on that West Coast. So that's something that we're obviously really going to be monitoring. Um, the two sides, they have some real differences of opinion on, on a number of items, uh, particularly automation and the use of it. Um, you know, the, obviously, the, the, the port operators want to see more automation. The labor union doesn't want to see that increase. That's one of the big points of, of dispute. Um, so obviously, we're really hopeful that it can, you can see a new contract uh, gets, get signed and agreed to without any kind of major disruption. Well, if that Argentinian strike doesn't end and that Brazilian harvest is lighter than expected, we could see more buyers coming to the U.S. Mike, are there any concerns you've got in the short term about getting beans and bean products exported here domestically? You know, obviously, you know, labor remains a, a significant issue. I'm hearing a lot of concerns from rail, from from agricultural shippers via rail. Uh, particularly to the West Coast, um, you know, the railroads are admitting that their service is not what they expect themselves to be able to provide. And one of the big culprits, again, is a shortage of workers. It's one thing to have a locomotive, but you have to have an engineer. It's one thing to have a truck, but you have to have a truck driver. And so we just continue to see very stubbornly this worker shortage really have significant impact on our supply chain. Obviously, fuel costs are adding additional you know, you know, costs to the, to the uh, system, but that labor issue is, is certainly stubborn and it continues to be with us. It is indeed, folks. We've been talking to Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to revisit that conversation with B.J. Johnson about Clear Flame Engines. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, got to be late. Got to go, got to go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And, oh, phone, uh, check. Keys, check. Lunch, check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.